So what I want to do tonight is threefold. I want to first talk about the why of community, like why community even matters in the first place. The second thing I want to do is I want to talk about what is community in light of what they did in the early church, right? And then from there, I want to see like, what can we take from the early church and how they did community and implement that into our communities now so that we can be a church that's actually alive and thriving and not stagnant. And I think those three things, if we can accomplish those in this time, I think will be good. So we'll try to do that as best and as efficiently as we can. So the first is why community? And I, I want to approach this both theologically and psychologically, okay? So the first, like, why of community, right, is theological in its nature. Why? Because, like, the God that we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, though each of those persons have been community from the beginning. Like, and not just from, like, the beginning of, like, time, but before the beginning of time, right? Like they're infinite and in and of themselves, they're community. And that's really powerful. And it's something that should affect our lives and not just like affect the way we think or like, wow, that's really cool. But it actually affects how we were made, what we were made to be, who we were made to be, right? Because they've been a community for the entirety of their existence, each of the persons, father, son, and Holy Spirit. And in the book of Genesis, I've always loved how it says, let us make man in our image. So they don't even speak individually in Genesis. They speak collectively. They speak as community. Life in community should speak for itself. Like when people look at this room tonight, what might they see? Well, what's cool is when Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created in the beginning, what they saw in you was them, was one another. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So like, what's cool about community, why community is because you as a person are a community. Like you're a community of thoughts, a community of feelings, a community of successes and triumphs and failures and losses. You're a community in and of yourself. And what happens is like, that community seeks other communities to relate itself to. You were made as community and for community because God is community. There's something divine about community and there's something divine about you. So why community? Well, the same reason of why divinity, because of goodness itself. There's divinity in community, there's divinity in you. And if you're going to be the fullness of who you're called to be, that has to happen in community. So that's why community from like a theological perspective, but if we look at it even from a psychological perspective, I think there's three things that every human person is looking for. I love like traveling around and speaking as I've been doing for the last year because I get to stop at gas stations on my way to where I'm speaking. And like, I love getting to know people that work at gas stations in the middle of nowhere. I have other weird things, but that's one of them for sure. And because uh, there's something about that person, like they're unique, specific, and unrepeatable. And I don't want to miss that for a second. Like I'm busy sometimes. We're all busy. What, I, what I've started to say in my life is instead of busy, that my life's full. Because if you read scripture in John 10, 10, Jesus promises you that if you follow him, your life's going to be full. So why do we complain about being busy all the time? Right? Anyway, life's busy sometimes. And when I'm traveling, I love getting to talk to people because I begin integrating them into my community. My community of experience, my community of life. Maybe not the community that I'm with all the time, but someone on which I can find common ground and learn from because there's not a single person in this world that can't teach you something you don't know. So from a psychological perspective, I think there's three things that all of us are looking for in life. Whether you be that person at the gas station that I met on my way here at Fuel Stop in, what was that, Catawba? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. I have a hick accent too if you haven't picked up on that. I'm from Southern Ohio originally. I probably should have said something about myself at the beginning, but that's okay. Uh, that's overrated. And uh, I'm from Portsmouth. It's like the middle of nowhere. Um, I like it a lot. Anyway, back to the three things, right? Uh, every person, the person at the gas station, everybody in Portsmouth, everybody in this bar tonight, right? Everybody in this Oregon district, as you walk up and down these streets, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of life experience, regardless of what they're doing, what they're not doing, each and every person, I think, has three things that they want out of life. That's The first is that they want someone to be. They want someone to be. And not just like someone to be aimlessly, but someone to be. I do a lot of youth ministry, and I talk to a lot of middle schoolers, and sometimes I'm blessed to speak to little elementary folk. And uh, I call them folk because I think they're like their own subcategory of human. 
And uh, like you're talking to them sometimes and they just like say things and you're like, that is more true than I would ever be willing to admit. And, um, and so like, but each of them, when you talk to them about something, they always have someone they want to be. And it always wants, it, it, well, it always orients itself towards sacrificial service, which I don't have enough time to get into tonight, but they always have someone they want to be. And every person has someone they want to be. No one wanted to grow up and be a failure. No one wanted to grow up and be hurt. No one wanted to grow up and be resentful. People wanted to grow up and be real and be something that mattered, someone that would leave a mark on something. We all want someone to be. We all want something to do. Like, give us something to do. Like, look at our culture and society. Like, every moment, give me something to do. Almost to a fault, but we're definitely made with an orientation to have something to do. And that pizza looks amazing. Brother man, who's bringing in the pizza? What's your name? Give it up for Sebastian. Let's go. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Right? But we want something to do. Man, I wish I could make pizza like Sebastian. That'd be a good thing to do. Uh, No, but we want something to do. And like we don't just want to do the same old, same old every day. Like there's insanity and monotony. We want something new, adventurous, like a life that's worth living. When I look back on my life, I want to ask myself, was that worth living? Would I live it again if I had the chance to choose? It'd be good to answer that question, yes. We want someone to be something to do and somewhere to belong. Somewhere to belong. We just want to like fit in. Man, I can't tell you sometimes today it was a little better than normal, but there's sometimes I'm like going into a new place and I'm like, what in the world should I wear? I don't want to be dressed like too nice, but not too poorly. I don't want to not fit in. There's like something like authored in us to be accepted, to be embraced, to be loved in the place that we are, not in the place that we might be if we were better. We want somewhere to belong and that's ultimately where community comes in. And I love that today I'm supposed to be talking about early Christian community, not just community, but Christian community. That matters. It it, it matters that the community be anointed, if we're using the word Christ, right? Be a community that's set apart, that's doing something that not every other community is doing. Why? Because it doesn't seem to be working. Our world's miserable. Have you seen that? I spend the majority of my time talking to people. And the majority of those conversations start with complaint. Man, that sucks. I don't want to live a life where I have to complain in order to be able to find common ground with someone. We want someone to be. We want something to do. We want somewhere to belong. And what's cool about Christian community is it gets to answer all three of those. That we do have someone to be. A saint. We do have something to do, and that's mission, because people are dying, and we can either care or not. I hope we choose to care. And we have somewhere we belong, and that's heaven. Catechism of the Catholic Church 1. I'm a huge catechism fan. I'm kind of a nerd in general. So I, it's like me saying I love anything that I've read. I'm not a great critic, but I'm a really good like lover of things I read. Anyway, Catechism of the Catholic Church 1. Like paragraph one, like it's pretty important. It's like we, we know no one's going to read this whole thing, so here's the first thing you should know. And the first thing it says is, now this is eternal life, that they would know you, Father, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. To know the Father and to know Jesus, that's heaven. Does that sound like something we have to wait for? No. Cardinal Ratzinger, now Pope Emeritus Benedict, once said something really cool. He said that... um. He said that God is not some being that's far distant off in the heavens, but rather the heavens are contained within God. And if the heavens are contained within God and God's contained within you, then where is heaven? In you. And it's only veiled insofar as you allow it to be. The point of community is to witness heaven to the world. That's the point. Community in communion is heaven on earth. I receive communion when I go to Mass. So I have like a, a ton of like life experience. I think because I just like grew up in Portsmouth to a family that was pretty like two sides of the fence. My mom grew up really, really poor and there's tons of drug addiction on that side. My dad grew up pretty bougie actually, like middle class in Portsmouth. And uh, there's a lot of alcoholism on that side. So I grew up with this like common experience of having to like try to relate to two different groups of people that were rather, let's say, unique. 
And uh, another like life experience thing is I encountered Jesus in a radical way on August 3rd, 2014, and my life's never been the same. I don't even look the same, talk the same, think the same. It's been pretty cool. I hope tonight might be that night for you guys. But it changed everything, and it was so cool. And I, I remember like uh, I was discerning the priesthood and the religious life for, for a while, and I went and visited the Brotherhood of Hope in New Jersey. And this has a, a point, I promise. I'm going to get back to the community and communion is heaven on earth, peace. Uh, and I was there, and I, I, I was like with these brothers, and, and it was awesome. It was a time of prayer and fellowship. We played Frisbee together. Like I had a brother lay me out. It was awesome, just drilled me. I was like, my goodness, thank you for that. I have a bruised hip, and that's a good story. But uh, anyway, like I, what I didn't expect, though, is during the chore time, they have like hours on the weekend where they just do chores, and they do it in silence, and it was wild. I was doing this like chore that I felt to be monotonous. I was actually pulling old tomato plants out of the ground that were rotten. This is like October, and it was out of the harvest. Uh, it was like the end of October, maybe early November. I can't exactly remember. But I was up in New Jersey. It was a nice day. I was pulling these plants out, and I remember I just had this huge conviction and I didn't even know why. I was like, why am I so convicted about the Lord pulling tomato plants? This is like weird. Maybe I'm just weird. That's probably still true, but it still had a point, I think. And it was this idea that like these brothers, they didn't like go to the store and buy things. They cultivated what they consumed. They cultivated what they consumed. What do we receive? What do we what do we consume on the weekends at Mass? Jesus. So what should we be cultivating through the week? Jesus. The body of Christ. The Eucharist will be more full for you on Sunday if you bring more people into the fold of who Jesus is. Not theologically, but I believe it in my heart. Because Jesus is always fully present, right? But there's something about when I can see every person whose life I've been blessed enough to touch in that host, when I receive it, it's pretty special. Community and communion is heaven on earth. That's the theological and psychological perspective of why community. I don't know if you're bought in yet, but community is important. It's pivotally important. It's how God didn't even make things. It's how God existed. And then it's how he made things and how he created things and how he still wants things to be. I love the whole, like, is it faith or science thing, right? Because what's super cool is, like, evolution happened. But you know what happened is God spoke something at the beginning and we're evolving in pursuit of what he said at the beginning. We're evolving in pursuit of what he said from the very beginning. That's the cool part because science is the language by which God speaks. Why community? Because it's important. Because God's important and he matters. C.S. Lewis once said something that was so brilliant. He said, Christianity must be everything or nothing. The only thing it can't be is in between. Because if he's real, it has to mean something. It has to cost something has to bring me to desire something. If it's not true, then why am I doing it anyway? The only thing it can't be is in between. Community is important because it brings us into the fullness of who we're called to be and who church is called to be. That's why community. Now, what is community? Man, I love the early Christian church. Why? Because I think it looks vastly different than most Christian communities I've been involved in. And I think that's a good challenge for us to try to live up to and to seek and you know, Jenny at the beginning said Acts 2, and Acts 2 is probably my favorite chapter in Scripture. So when they were like, Brad, will you come speak about community? And one of the topics was early Christian community. When Jenny sent me the email, I was like, oh man, if I can make it for that one, I definitely want to be there for that because Acts 2 is so rich. Because it's right after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which we're coming up on, right? And the Holy Spirit touched these random podunk men from nowhere who didn't make the cut. I can't even get into the Jewish education system, but they didn't make the cut. And I wonder if in your life you've ever felt like you didn't make the cut. Like you weren't good enough. You shouldn't be in this place or that place. You shouldn't be looked up to for this or for that. That's where these men were. Anyway, they were touched. And Peter, who perpetually put his foot in his mouth during his time with Jesus, was touched by the Holy Spirit and came out and probably gave one of the best talks of all time. And then after that, something happens. They then form community. I think we get it backwards sometimes. What is community? Community isn't a place to go where we can just be comfortable all the time. Community is a place where we're supposed to go and be challenged to be the greatest, best version of who we might be if we were to choose who we could be. A community is supposed to spark something within us, a desire for greatness, not for comfort. And again, comfort's good, like, like in, in the sense of it being Sabbath. 
but it's not good if we just sit and stagnate throughout our lives because you were meant to leave a mark. It's a sad thing to go through life and not leave a mark. There's a lot of issues facing the church today. Tons of issues. Economic issues. Social issues. But the biggest issue facing the church today is indifference. It's indifference. It's that my life looks no different following Jesus than it would without. That looks amazing, by the way. Yeah, yeah. What's your name? D. D. Can we give it up for D for being amazing? Yes. Um, and um, like, it, like it matters, right? So anyway, that's kind of an aside, and I'm not going to go too far down that aside because we need to talk about like, what is community. If why community is because it forms me into the best version of myself and allows the church to become what it was meant to be, which is a community in communion, then what is community? Well, the early Christians figured it out. Community was a way by which they could remind one another what they committed to in the first place. That's what happened, right? Like, that's what happened in Acts 2. Like, it's so cool. I, I have the word up here. I love it. I carry this thing around, sometimes in a backpack, because sometimes you can't approach people when you're carrying it, because we don't have to get into, like, how we can be better at loving people in our Christianity. But sometimes they don't exactly like when you hold a Bible and come up. So I hold it in my backpack and then pull it out if need be later, right? Acts 2 is sweet, though. So Peter gives this incredible, <laughs> incredible, like, thing where he chastises the crowd. He's not saying, like, you guys are amazing. Like, good work. He actually says, like, you murdered God. Good job. Like, that's what he said. Like, at the end, he goes, Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. That doesn't exactly sound like a good salesman pitch. But something happens where, like, the, their crowd's like, you challenged me in something. And they, they are drawn to it. Like they're not repelled from it. They're drawn to it. They're like, okay, brother, what, what should we do? And then he says, repent and be baptized. And then he goes into like what they could do to do that. But then it talks about after that, that thousands were added that day. Thousands. Like thousands were added in a single day. And then literally like 10 verses later, another 3,000 are added. That's a pretty good day. I've never added 5,000 people in a day to the church. Maybe, maybe one day. That'd be amazing. I believe that God wants things like that in our generation. If we live community the right way, I really do. Because I think the world's starving for something of purpose and something that matters. And not just the same old, same old. But anyway, they come together. And it says they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles to the breaking of the bread into the prayers. They formed parishes, if we can speak in today's language. That's like what they did. They're like, okay, let's get together and let's make sure to come together and break bread as Jesus taught us and do exactly what he did. Because what is community? Community is an uncommon commitment to a common purpose. It's an uncommon commitment to a common purpose. Like at the beginning, they made this uncommon commitment. They're like, we're going to get together a bunch and talk about things that everybody else thinks we're crazy for believing. But we're going to talk about it anyway. Any of you guys History Channel fans by chance? I'm like one of ten nerds in here. Nice. I love all you guys for that. And, uh, well, if you haven't seen the History Channel, if you haven't seen, like, the Discovery Channel, I kind of, like, flip in between sometimes. And they have, like, this show called Ancient Aliens. Anyone ever seen at least a meme from Ancient Aliens? Yeah? Okay. So Ancient Aliens is, like, ultimately this show that just talks about how, like, everything that was built in the past was helped by alien intelligence. And, uh, and I, like, watch it. And, and it's so funny because, like, there's, like, such a group of contingency in college right now that, like, watch it. It's, like, like, the most memeable show of all time. And they just laugh about it perpetually. And what I've been, like, really struck by, though, is I actually think it's crazier to believe that someone rose from the dead and that, like, aliens came and built a pyramid. But, like, when I watch Ancient Aliens, I don't question for a second if the people on that show believe in aliens. Like, not for a second. Like, the dude's out there at, like, 3 a.m. doing some kind of dance. Like, he believes in aliens. Like, in the Discovery Channel piece was Finding Bigfoot. I wonder when it's going to become Found Bigfoot. It's just been, like, 20 seasons of Finding Bigfoot. But anyway, um, like, they're Finding Bigfoot. And, like, and we can laugh at that. And they're, like, out making Yeti mating noises at 4. I don't even know what that sounds like, but it's, like, 4 a.m. And it's weird. And he's got shorty shorts on. I don't know if that's a scent thing. I don't know. And uh, 
but he's doing something. I'm like, that guy's, there's no question that that guy believes that Bigfoot is real. Yet I believe that someone rose from the dead, and if you looked at my life day in and day out, I don't know if you would believe that I believe that. But the Christian community got that. They understood that. They knew the importance of that. And do we? Man, our hearts become so hardened so easily. But that's so important, I think. And they knew that. So they get together and they form like what it's ultimately parishes. And you know, like, I was praying for this night over like the last, I don't know when Jenny reached out to me, maybe like a, a couple months ago, would that be? But for the last couple months, so every time I like put a speaking engagement on my calendar, I incessantly pray for it and just seek the Lord's word. And the, the word that I got from the Lord for your community here in Dayton is that you would be a beacon. And that's like a common word that I'm hearing in a lot of communities, but a beacon in a place that has forgotten what light looks like in so many ways. Could you imagine if there was this perpetual darkness and you finally saw light for the first time in a while? How drawn you would be to that light to see something that wasn't nothing again. Because when I'm looking in darkness, I just see nothing. But then a light comes and I'm encouraged at the fact that I might see something if I step into the light. I think it's what you guys are called to be, and I think it's what the Christian community knew that the world needed at that time. I was so touched as I was praying into this scripture for us to talk about tonight. And like I I was almost like I was almost brought to tears just thinking about like what God wanted to speak, because they get together and then they like go out to the ends of the earth. Like, in in, in disagreement, they don't agree on everything, but that wasn't the point. They don't see eye to eye on everything, but that wasn't the point. But they love one another, they break bread together, and then they leave to their respective areas to evangelize, to be on mission. That actually mission was the reason for community, not community, not the other way around. I almost got tongue-tied and couldn't even remember my words. But like, mission formed their community. Community didn't form their mission. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, discipleship and mission. And what did discipleship and mission lead to? Community. And we should be a community of missionary disciples. So what is community? Community is what the early church had, and it's the ability for us to come together and remind one another of what we committed to in the first place. Because they would come together and they would almost be murdered. Could you imagine that? I haven't been persecuted at that point. I've been laughed at a lot. I do a lot of street evangelization. Because I love people. Because loved people love people and hurt people hurt people. And if we would know how loved we are, we couldn't help but love those in our lives and those who we don't even know. Like Jeff at the gas station. Hopefully I see him again in Catawba. My truck guzzles gas. I need to work on Lodato C. If you, anyway. Um, it's an encyclical. Or comedy. It's weird. I'm a nerd. I told you that. Anyway, they got something, guys. And like I said, I was like almost in tears when I, when I heard it. Like the reason they would get together, the reason we have Mass, right? Missio, to be sent forth. And the reason that we do Mass, not on our own, but in community, communis, meaning common, community meaning common, communion meaning common, that we would have common ground to launch from. And when they would come back together, they would come back, and I could only imagine what would happen when Paul and Peter saw each other, when Paul wasn't in jail and Peter wasn't trying to be murdered. Like, they would come together, and could you imagine, if you haven't seen a friend in a few months, and you know that they've almost been murdered, you don't know if they're going to show back up to the gathering. Like, what if someone in here went out tonight, and it's not the world we live in now, but could you just imagine, like the friend that you're sitting with, they go out, and two months later is the first time you're going to see them, and you have no idea if they're going to come back alive, because you can't just text them or post it on Facebook. Or Instagram, you can't, like, update your story, letting them know every step of the way. And they come back, and they make eye contact. I could only imagine if Peter and Paul, they probably looked at each other and they're like, it's getting hard out there. I don't know if I even believe it anymore. It's been years since I saw Jesus' eyes. Would you remind me of what he looked like? Remind me of what he sounded like. Remind me of how he walked and how he talked and how he saw people. Can you remind me because it's getting hard. I wonder if your life in Christianity is getting hard. 
Like, what sin do you struggle with? Which one are you scared of? I think our parents have something right when we're growing up. Those of you who are parents, you probably have something right. When a child is scared of something in the dark, you don't try to explain it away with words. You simply turn on the light. I remember when I was like three years old, I was so convinced that there was a monster in my closet. So convinced. I was like, have you ever, like, I don't know, do you remember being young enough to where you were so scared that you almost couldn't make words come out of your mouth? You're like petrified and you're trying to yell and it's like cracking and stuff. Anyway, I was like, dad, dad. And my dad had, a, my mom and dad had a room upstairs and I, I like had one downstairs, but it was like very, a very easy call. It was like a really small house. And, uh, I use here, boom, 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 down the steps. Yeah, Brad, everything okay? Yeah, there's a monster in my closet, though, right? I don't know how I said it. I don't know. How, well, how does a three? I don't know how a three-year-old talk. Anyway, I don't think I had that vernacular. Anyway, I said something to the effect of "scary thing, closet now," and uh, and Dad didn't like try to like explain it away. What he did is he turned the light on, and he stepped over to the closet, and he said, "That's just the sweater your grandma got you at Christmas that you haven't worn." Because the sin that you're scared of in the dark isn't that scary when you turn the light on. It's just a sweater that you haven't worn. Like, what if we reminded each other? Like, what if this thing mattered tonight? Like, what if this gathering mattered? What if this community mattered? And not just for me to have a break from what real life brings. Not for me to just have a place where I can get away from work and the grind. I think this was the first week I've worked less than 80 hours in like four years because when you start an apostolate that serves 15,000 youth, you have your hands full. And I didn't expect it to be that. It was a glorified youth group. And I was like, Lord, I'll do it for two years and go back to law school. Four years later, here we are. Like busyness happens. But what if we didn't look at it as busy, but we looked at it as full? And what if we were honored by it and joyful in it? Because the early church, they looked at one another Broken, beaten, hurt, unloved, resentful. He said, remind me of what his eyes looked like before he ascended. Because he said he'd be with us always. And I haven't seen him, but I see him when I see you. I see him when I see you. That's community. And they got it in the early church. And I don't think we get it now. I really don't. I, I just, I fun, I, I've spoken, I, I, don't, I don't know to how many communities in the last year. And I don't think we get this. But if we would, it would change the world. And I mean that. And I'm not throwing lofty thoughts out there. It really would change things. Everything. Philippians 3, verse 14 says, that every knee would bend in heaven and on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if every knee is going to bow and tongue profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, I don't know a God of force. I know a God of freedom. So if a knee is going to bow and a tongue is going to profess, it's not going to be by force. It's going to be a free choice. But His plan for salvation was you. He started with Peter and He said, Tag, you're it. And tonight he looks at you and he says, Tag, you're it. What are you going to do about it? How can we implement it into our lives today? I think there's three ways. I think we have to be Jesus-centered. I think we have to be mission-focused. And I think we have to be joy-filled. Jesus-centered, mission-focused, joy-filled. The first is being Jesus-centered. And be honest with yourself, and because the answer is no for me most days. But is he the first thing you think about when you wake up? He's either all or nothing. The only thing he can't be is in between. And I'm not saying that as a hard ass. I just don't know any other way. And my answer is still no, but I hope your, your answer is yes. Is he the first thing I think about? Is my whole day centered on Him? I've been thinking lately, like, what if they followed me around with a camera? I mean that. Like, when I'm with myself, when I'm on the internet by myself, when I'm on my phone by myself, when I'm with my girlfriend, whether we're alone or we're out in public, when I'm with my group of friends, when I'm with my church community, if I had a camera on me at every moment, 
And I walked up to someone on the street that was hurting and I looked at them and I handed them that tape and I didn't even mention words with my mouth and they watched the tape. Would they believe that Jesus is real and that He rose from the dead, that He loves them, He has a plan for their life? Until that's the, until that's the reality, I, I can't stop. If I got a tattoo, and I'm just not the tattoo type, I think it's because when I turned 18, my dad had me go down to our basement. He's like, hey, Brad, go down to the basement and uh, get the tool in the second closet on the left. You could have just said the tool, Pops, but my dad was like a disciplinarian, so that wasn't a real comment that would ever come out of my mouth. It's like, okay, got it. I'm going to go get it. I get, head downstairs. I just turned 18, right? I'm like, getting I'm like, it's a sander. And I was like, okay, sander. Like, it's, it's 8.45 p.m. Like, I don't know what we're sanding. And uh, so I bring the sander and like put it on our table and my dad like comes down. I was like, dad, what are we sanding? He goes, oh, nothing. I just wanted to show you the tool that I'd use to remove the tattoo that you got if you decided to do what all your friends are doing. So you can just put it back in the closet and we'll have dinner upstairs. <laughs> Good talk, pops. Good talk. All right, we'll put that up. And uh, so, uh, no, but I, I've been saying lately though, like if I was to ever get one and I think an angel would actually have to tell me I had to get one, but like, I love tattoos. Don't get me wrong. It's a huge evangelistic opportunity because if you have a tattoo, you want to talk about it. If you have a tattoo, you want to talk about it. I talk to everybody about their tattoos all the time. I don't have one, but I've become kind of a connoisseur. <laughs> for, for whatever that's worth. Anyway, I would, uh, I would get a tattoo on my left forearm right here because it, it, like, when I put my watch on, I look at it every morning and it would say, would they believe? If they saw my life today, would they believe? Does my life actually look like it's worth it? Do you guys realize like we say Jesus is alive, but we live oftentimes like we're dead? Like if Jesus is alive and we claim our church to be the fullness of that life in Jesus Christ, then wouldn't you be kind of apprehensive to follow when someone's like, yeah, our church has the fullness of life. Oh, really? Because you look dead half the time. And that's not a shot like at anyone in here, but doesn't, I mean like, like how many bored people do you see in mass on Sunday? Let's be honest. Like how many bored people sit in those pews? They can't wait for the football game that's about to start afterwards, myself included, me culpa. We're bored out of our minds because we don't have a purpose. Because we're not centered on the person who is the purpose. Jesus-centered. Second, mission-focused. What is your mission in life? You should have a mission statement. Speak it over your life every morning when you wake up. Why do you live that day? Why do you live, period? You don't have a whole lot of days. None of us do, right? Like, why do you live? What's your why? You have to be focused on that why. When I wake up every morning, I tell myself, I live to bring the church into purpose and mission so that no soul is lost. Every morning. I live to bring the church into purpose and mission so that no soul is lost. Because I want to rejoice with people. I want people to, to know that the suck in this world has a remedy, I guess. What's your mission and are you focused on it? The mission of the church is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So that could be a good starting spot. And then the third is being joy-filled. Yeah. Life's just too short not to be joyful every day. Every day. Stress and anxiety have no place in my life. I just don't let them in. And when they're knocking at the door, I just don't let them. Because I want to choose joy, because you have to choose it. You guys ever read the book of James? I call him Jersey James because he's pretty straight and to the point. Have you been? To, yeah, for those of you who've been in Jersey, you know what I'm talking about. They have good bagels there too. Yeah, come on. Uh, they have good pizza too. Yeah, I don't want to give the Jersey peeps all the credit, but the Turnpike sucks, but their bagels and pizza's worth it. And uh, I call him Jersey James, and he says, "Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you consider when when you when you consider when you encounter trials and tribulations." Thanks, James. I'll try my best. Why community? Community because it brings me into the fullness of who I was called to be from the beginning. You're called to be Jesus to the world and nothing less. That's a big call. It's really hard to do without Him. What is community? Community is the place where we go that reminds us who we were created to be, and who we were, are destined to become. 
How can we implement that into our lives? We can be Jesus-centered, mission-focused, and joy-filled. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> did you wear the ugly sweater? Good question. Um, I don't believe I did. I think it ended up going to Goodwill, to be honest. If we're going to be honest, um, I think that's what happened. Um, sweet. Next question. What books of the Bible would you recommend reading for someone who is beginning to read the Bible again after a number of years? Great question. Um, the Gospels. The Gospels. I, I, if I had to spend my whole life in one book, it would be John. Um, it comes after the Synoptic Gospels and it fills in a lot of the gaps theologically and a lot of other things that are just really rich. So I say the Gospels. And, and really, you could stay there forever. But um, a lot of times I say Gospels, and then from Gospels go into some of the epistles. They're just tangible, right? Because it was just Paul writing letters inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that really helps us grasp. Like if you, uh, and th then you can start going into like kings and things like that. Because those are important, but only in light of what Jesus reveals in the Gospel in our faith today. Do you believe in evolution? Great question. Great question. Um, it's, it's one of the questions that I, I get quite a bit, especially when I'm talking about what I did today. And um, I, would, I would say you have to define your terms well. So I think a lot of times we, we debate semantics because we define terms differently. Um, I actually have a quote from Pope Francis that I normally go to with this one and, uh, because I think it's super well said. So I can... Um, Pope Francis says, the Big Bang theory that is placed today at the origin of the world does not contradict the divine intervention, but exacts it. That's pretty good. And then he goes on to say, the evolution in nature is not opposed to the notion of creation because evolution presupposes the creation of beings that evolve. It's pretty good, right? So it depends on what, what you're defining as evolution, but we've certainly developed over time. But as I spoke very precisely and particularly on purpose earlier, was that we're evolving in pursuit of what was said from the beginning. That God spoke something, and that thing that he spoke hasn't changed, but we change in pursuit of it, if that makes sense. Um, sorry, there's two more on that. Um, what is your first thought of the day? My first thought of the day for me, before I state my mission statement over my life, when I'm oriented correctly, like I said, I'm not perfect with this, but it's really a discipline I try to, as I look at the crucifix and I, and I ask Jesus that I may lay my life down as he did this day. And then I go in to speak my why, my mission statement. And when I'm living my best life, that's what I'm doing. And then I make my bed right after that. Like if I'm living, like the, if I'm living is, is like, disciplined and character driven as I like. That's, that's how it starts. Um, define missionary discipleship. That's great. Um, man, I could give a whole 45 minute talk on missionary discipleship, but if I was to define it, um, you're a learner with a purpose. That's missionary discipleship. You're a learner with a purpose. So you go through life learning every step of the way, but purpose driven why you're learning. It's not a stagnant learning, but it's a flow that you go with. I think that would probably be what I'm going to do for now on that. A learner with purpose. Next question. Can someone be shy, introverted, or a poor or nervous speaker and still be a missionary disciple? Are shyness, introversion, or nervousness sins or imperfections, hindrances to that? Um, that that's a great question. I, I, would, I would say absolutely because... If you're a learner with a purpose, that doesn't imply what your gifts have to be. If you're a learner with a purpose, it doesn't presuppose there's a certain set of gifts that you have to have to do that. Yes is the answer. You can be. And I think it's so important. We have to look at Jesus' model of discipleship. And um, Jesus had the three, then he had the twelve, then he had the 500 and the 5,000. Our numbers might look different than that. For some people, you might have a platform of more than 5,000. Maybe you'll have less than that, but you should have a number kind of in that arena, right? Like, and maybe yours is 1, 3, 6, and 12. 
but we should do the we should do the discipleship that Jesus did, and we should model it after that. And uh, it's going to look different for every person, but I don't want that to be an excuse not to do it. Right? We do that a lot. Mission, especially community. We know what community means. Like we need to have accountability. We need to be with one another. We know what discipleship means. I need to follow Jesus. I need to listen to people about him. But when it comes to mission, it's like, well, your life's different than mine. No, that can't be an answer. Like, yes, that is true. But mission, well, I think a couple things have to, yeah, I think joy, the name of Jesus and signs and wonders have to follow mission. I could give a whole 45-minute talk on signs and wonders and what encompasses that. Signs point to something. So if you do something in your life that points to Jesus, that's a sign. Wonder invokes something. In Scripture, it calls Jesus the wonder counselor. And so the answer is yes. And, and then the last part with shyness, introversion, nervousness, sins, or imperfections. I, this is a really cliche statement, but it's shaped my life a lot. Jesus doesn't call the equipped, he equips the chosen, or equips the called. Right? He doesn't choose the equipped, he equips the chosen, or he doesn't call those who are already equipped. Right? Like He develops it as you go. Say yes, and then he'll bring you into what you should be. That's what I got there. Um, how do you convince someone that is hurt to join a community, and maybe even our community? Our aim is love, right? As church, our aim is love. And so, well, I, again, it's semantics partially, but I don't like the word convince. Because it's not about convincing them. It's about demonstrating and showing them. Right? It, it's not like Christianity is an idea that's equal amidst a variety of ideas. We actually proclaim that it is the way to eternal life. That it is the way by which to live. And you have to bring people incrementally into that way of life. And not in a judgmental or pretentious or facetious way. But actually like demonstrating that your life looks fundamentally different than what it looked like before you knew Jesus. Pope Francis says something awesome in Evangelium, which is the joy of the gospel. If you ever want to read a book about missionary discipleship, Evangelium, I can't get out of it. I mean, he wrote, Pope Francis wrote that I, I don't even remember how many years ago, but I haven't put it down since I picked it up. And he says in there something amazing. He says that in order to... Pers I'm trying to remember the quote. I I'll at least paraphrase. In order to persist in fervent evangelization, the Christian must be convinced from personal experience that it's not the same thing to know Jesus as not to have known Him. That's a big deal. I'm going to repeat that. In order to persist in fervent evangelization, in order to be a missionary... To love the Lord. In order to do that, you must be convinced from personal experience, from an encounter with a person, not a thought from a book reading, but an encounter with a person that it's not the same thing to know Him as not to have known Him. My life of pleasure-seeking and power-seeking and money-seeking before I met the Lord was not the same as my life now. It doesn't even look remotely the same. But I'm more joyful. I'm more myself than I ever was before. So again, I think, how do you convince someone that's hurt to join a community? I don't think you convince them. I think you show them the love to which they've been yearning for the entirety of their life. Jesus is the solution to every world problem. He's the remedy to every hurt in your heart and every hurt in the world. And when you come to believe that, you can show it better. And then you can bring someone hurt into this community, into this place, into the world. There's practicals as well, of course. Like, theology on tap's great. It, it, yeah, I would speak forever. I have a whole parish model that I think is going to work. Um, I'm serious. I'm working with one of my pastors that I love so dearly. And we have to give people an entry point. The Mass is a hard entry point. If you read the saints, it's the highest form of worship. That's why it's the hardest to understand. That's why it can be boring to us at some times. And that's why when you bring in someone who, like, uh, I'm not going to go down, a, I'm going to shoot that rabbit before it goes down a hole, but like, like, no, seriously though, like, I, I, there's, there's times like, it, well, I'll be doing street evangelization and the Lord will heal someone. Or I'll get a word of knowledge for someone. I met a guy named Jeremiah in Columbus. Jeremiah's awesome. And I, I, I looked at Jeremiah with love and I remember I went up to him and Jeremiah was standing there on the corner and I, 
I went up to him and started talking to him about Jesus because I'm not scared of his name because his name saved my life. When I was in a place that wasn't good, his name saved me. So I'm not afraid of the name. I'm also not pretentious about it. But I was just telling him, I'm like, hey, what's up, man? I, I, I was just praying for you as I walked by, and Jesus loves you so much. He started laughing, like an intimidating laugh, right? And like, uh, because he's used to Christians who don't actually believe what they're saying. It'll just scamper off scared. He just laughed. I remember him laughing. Oh, man. And I looked at him, and I was like, yeah, I know. It's funny because when you fall in love with someone, you can't help but talk about them all the time. And the one I love loves you. He started laughing a little bit more, and I was like, yeah, I know that might be funny, but I'll tell you what I don't think is funny. And the Lord gave me a word of knowledge, and I said, I don't think it's funny how your pops treated you when you were growing up. It wasn't your fault. Like the burns with the cigarette, like they weren't your fault. This guy starts crying and he looks at me and he goes, how did you know that? I said, well, either I'm a really good guesser or I know someone that knows you really well and he loves you. And his name's Jesus and we can talk about him if you want to, but if you don't, I understand. I just didn't want to let this be just a time that we laughed off because it matters and you matter. And I've seen Jeremiah since. He goes to Rock City Church. It's a Protestant church in the downtown area. Still hitting a bottle on occasion, but man, I say all that because we need an entry point for him. It's hard to bring him into the mass. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. So something like this is a good entry point. Practicals, right? Like we need an entry point and then bring them to that hot. You got to walk with people. It's discipleship. It's, it's lifestyle. I got fired up, so I stood up. Um, and uh, how do you think we can bring together broken communities back together, i.e. the Catholic Church? Well, I wonder if we could start by just talking more about what we have in common than what we have different. Maybe we'll get to a question later about our Protestant brothers and sisters, but same. If you offered me a 2% or a 98% on my test, I'd take the 98%. So why do we focus on 2% as church? Mary's important. The saints like St. Rita are important. Papal primacy is important. The most important thing you'll ever say in your life is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if we miss that for some pretentious hubris that comes from thinking we know it all, that that's going to divide. What will bring together is if we focus not on the least common denominator, but literally the greatest sum of the denominators. And so I think that's the way. I think that's the way. Um, I could talk about that. that oh, your questions are amazing. I love... How do you convince hurt people to break their chains and choose love? If you want to change the world, go home and put your house in order. If you want to bring someone out of chains and into love, then drop the chains in your life and let them watch. When, when my buddies back home see me living as freely as I do, their chains fall. Because they're like, that's, that's not the brat I knew. You're right, because this is a free one. And you can be free too. It's easy. The key's actually in your heart. You have the keys. And the gates of the netherworld can never prevail against it. I know that's not super practical, but, but it's, it's walking with people. It's not being afraid to like be vulnerable. I'm not perfect. I hope I have not in any way projected that tonight. It's not close. It's not close. But I'm seeking the one who is. And I know him well. And I want to know him better. Right? And... um. You can, again, again, I, I don't know if convince is the right word there, but you can show them what it looks like to live a life unchained and then it would provoke them to do the same. And you have to walk with people. How do you think we can better foster a community in both faithful men and women? Well, first, let's not be scared of one another. <laughs> men teach men how to be men. Women teach women how to be women. Men and women teach one another how to be persons. You know why I don't like the argument that like the fetus isn't a person? Because person's a Catholic term. We coined that term. And we had to figure out a term that would define the Trinity. And we didn't have a word for it. It's like, how do you define three? They're not individuals. They're a community, but they're different, kind of. Like, what do you call that? Well, persona, in, in the Latin, it was actually, it would refer oftentimes to a mask and a play. 
And the mask in the play was the only thing that could tell you what that character's relation to the play was. So we took it and we coined the term person for the three persons of the Trinity. Person is defined as a being in relationship. My sisters teach me how to do relationship well. My brothers teach me the same. But my brothers have to teach me how to be the best brother I can be so that my sisters can teach me how to be the best person I can be. If either side is shorted, we're falling short in who we're called to be. Let's not be scared of one another. And can I just say this? Attraction is good. And we, we say this way too often as church. Like all the speakers that want to get aroused, they're like, sex is good. No, that's great. No, it is. But attraction's good too. And I think even like of those of us who are in relationship, you being attracted to someone else is going to happen. You're actually seeing Jesus in the other. That's attraction, good attraction. I've been dating a gal for about two years and I'm so honest with her about an attractive person that walks by because she trusts and knows that she has the fullness of my heart. But I can thank God for someone who is attractive, not because I'm focusing on their attraction, but I'm focusing on the God who is attractive that made them in His image. Because attraction doesn't mean I have to act on it. I mean, that means the praise on it. And I'm so serious. I think we we got we got to figure that out because we've let culture define attraction, not the church define it. We can't be scared of one another. I'm so attracted to each one of you in your own way. I wish I could meet you guys. Anyway, I'm not. I can't spend that much time on every question. How do you live community well if you live alone? What practical things can you try? Very good question. Very very good question. Uh, I get this question a lot as well. I, I say, eat alone as infrequently as possible. Jesus usually does things over a meal. Why? Because there's something about community and, and feasting together. And if you're, right, yeah, and we're Catholic, so we do that a lot. And um, like feasting's good, but like there is something about that, right? Like, like try, like, if you have a lunch break, try to ask a coworker to go with you. Again, this goes into the introverted piece, but for me for a while, I literally, because I wanted to be a great evangelist, I would... I would go up to people in Wendy's that were sitting at a booth by themselves and ask if I could join. And it was amazing because I was so scared of it at first. I was petrified. But so many people are so blessed by it. It's almost like they're waiting for it, but everybody's too scared to do it. If you want to get bold, I think that's a good step. Um, Cool. Any suggestions to not choosing stress and anxiety? Yes. Write down truth declarations and speak them over yourself every morning in the mirror. And some days you're going to say them and believe them. And some days you're going to have to say them until you believe them. I have 16 declarations I speak over my life every day. I look myself in the eye in the mirror. I say, you are not a fake. You are not unreliable. You are not falling behind. You are not broken. I speak it prophetically until I believe it. I know that's radical, but I do because I have to believe it. Because the last thing you all need, the last thing anyone I encounter on a day-to-day basis need is, is a person that's inauthentic. Some days you'll speak it and you'll believe it. Some days you have to speak it until you believe it. And mark my words, do it. If it's, if it's two or three, if you think it's cliche and lame, I did too when I first heard it, but it changed my life. I'm so serious. Because every day when stress and anxiety comes, I have a refutation. And I back all of mine up with Scripture. So if you want to go a step further, you can do that. I am strong and full of life. Well, no, I'm not unreliable. Because God says, it, like, because my God is trustworthy and He lives in me. He is my rock, my fortress, my strong tower against the foe. I, 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 I memorize Scripture like, yeah, when you do ministry... Father can probably, when you do ministry, I'm serious though, when you do ministry, attacks come often and they come in the form of lies and if you don't have truth to refute them, you'll believe them. If you don't have truth to refute them, you'll believe them. And then you'll build your life on an identity that's false. And man, we don't need more of that. Stress and anxiety. Write declarations, speak them over your life and I mean it. I, one or two, I, I, like, I, like I said, I, I, do, I do 15 or 16 and uh, it, it changes things. 
Comparative discussions of early and current. Yeah, I know where this is going. Christian communities always emphasize the superior, yeah, the superior aspects of the early ones. Is there anything we are generally doing better nowadays? Great question. I don't have a good answer to it. I would say yes, probably. And I think we we should we should affirm ourselves for the work we do every day and the work that's being done in the church. Our church still educates more people than anyone in the world. Our church still hospitalizes, serves, and medically treats more people than anyone in the world. Our church still feeds more hungry people than anyone in the world. Those are all things to be proud of. And from a numeric or probably even a percentage, we do more of that now than we did in the early church. But I think it's always good to first be thankful and second recognize there's more. Always more. There's always more. He always has more. Press into the more. Like, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we believe that when we pray it or do we just say it like words we've memorized since we were in first grade? On earth as it is in heaven. My, my goal in life is to see how much of that world I can pull into this one. Like how much of that, how mu- like how, how similar can this world look to his? Because I think when it mirrors one another is when he's coming back. And it won't be a rescue mission, but I think it'll be a celebration. So are we doing things better? Yes, I'm sure. I don't have all of the numbers and things like that. But you need to be thankful for the ways that you've been better that day. I always say, I stole this from Jordan Peterson, actually. But uh, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. And then be thankful for the growth you've had, but then see what the church was then and how we can pull the best parts of that into now. And then the parts that are already better now We'll have like a super church. Is that what they call a mega church? I don't know. Uh, cool. And uh, last, Brad, God has been glorified in your talk tonight. I'm a Catholic seeking more of the spirit and the unity of all Christians, especially our Protestant brothers and sisters. How would you encourage us about seeking ecumenism and becoming more one as a church to achieve this? Start with what we have in common and love the Lord and figure those out as practically as you want to in your life with what you do. In my life, I was driving through Centerburg where I work one day, and the Lord told me to stop at this Dollar General. I had never been in the Dollar General before, but I felt it like in my heart that the Lord was asking me to stop. And I'm like, Jesus, like I just want to... Guys, be normal. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Normal's overrated, I think. Um, but I was like, okay, I'll stop. And so I stop and I pull into this Dollar General. I have two of my friends with me. I'm like, I, we're just going to stop here. I think the Lord wants us to stop at this Dollar General. Classic. <laughs> and so they like walk in and we're like walking into this Dollar General. And I walk in and nothing. I'm like, goodness, of course. Because sometimes I think he actually just does that to see if we'll do it. And, but I'm partially serious in the sense that like, I, I think he gives more to those who are faithful and who trust past the bounds of understanding. And so anyway, I was going to go buy a Gatorade. I went to buy this Gatorade, and I got it off the shelf. And I'm like going up to the counter, and this girl is highlighted behind the counter. And I'm like, I know that's the reason I stopped. And I was walking to her, and as I was walking to her, I I heard the Lord just like speak a word about her life. And I went up, asked her who she was. Her name was Ashley. I said, hey, Ashley, it's so awesome to meet you. My name's Brad. I work at the big campus up on the hill. It's sweet to be here today. I was actually just driving to town and driving by, and I thought I was supposed to stop. And actually, uh, I, I was like praying for you as I was walking up here, and I feel like the Lord really wants you to know that you're a great mother. That He, like, he honors your work, and, and he sees how you're working two jobs right now to support your little daughter. And that's amazing. And she just starts weeping. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I just thought that's what he was saying. Like, uh, and, and I'm serious. I get it wrong. I, I'm telling you some of the stories where I get it right. But there are times where I get it wrong. But you know what's crazy is when I get it wrong, I'll say, yeah, I, I, I was praying for you. And, and I felt like the Lord said this. And they're like, actually, that doesn't really resonate. But you know what they always say after that? Thank you so much for praying for me. 
We're so scared of failure that it petrifies us sometimes. But any, anyway, aside from that, Ashley, she starts crying. She goes, like, that's, like, she starts telling me about her two-year-old daughter, how her um, boyfriend, uh, who's the father of the daughter, had just left, and how she didn't have enough money to make ends meet, and actually was just coming back to the Lord. And she joined a Protestant church in our, in our town, Centerburg, where my, like, where the ministry that I'm a part of is at, right? Like, where, where like, my living quarters are even. And uh, she's like, yeah, you have to meet my church family. And I was like, yeah. That'd be amazing. She goes, we're having an event on Sunday. It's an ecumenical event we're doing. Uh, we're just cleaning up the city. It's just a service project day. And she's like, do you know who's over the schedule? I'm like, actually, I just so happen to be over our missionary schedule. So I was like, I can get the missionaries there. So we had, 50, we had 15 full-time missionaries at the time. This year, we'll have 50 full-time missionaries. And, uh, but we all came. And uh, now one of our missionaries actually plays praise and worship for their Sunday services. Goes to Mass faithfully but goes there to a prayer meeting because there's so much good in praying. And if you don't like singing, then uh, get prepared for heaven, I guess. I'm a really, I'm a bad singer, but I sing anyway because I'm going to be singing there, at least the creatures that are around do and the angels. And I, I say all that to just encourage you because what, what it is, it's about loving and it's about focusing on common things. I actually, I've been blessed to preach at a number of Protestant churches. And I've been a part of ecumenical Bible studies, and I'm actually currently working. I don't know if any of you, have any of you ever heard of Bethel Church in Cleveland? It's pastored by Bill Johnson. Yes, and they, they had a church plant in Cleveland, and we as a ministry actually work very closely with them. Um, and it's really amazing to see what God's doing in that. And um, yes, if we're going to like, yeah, I, I think I've taken your time for the night. I'm, I'm super blessed. That was the last question I had. Sweet, guys. Thanks a ton.